This is the Stockton-San Joaquin County Public Library. Winter reading is happening right now. Join the challenge. It's as easy as one, two, three. One, read books. Children zero to 12 read 10 books. Teens and adults read three books. Two, submit a reading log online at ssjcpl.org or in person at your nearest local SSJCPL branch. And three, pick up your prizes. Available at your local SSJCPL branch while supplies last. Winter reading ends on January 31st. Well, hello, and welcome back to Dark Fascinations. I'm Brianna, and joining me as always is Jody. And this month, we read, what did we read? <laughs> give Me Your Hand by Megan give, Abbott. <laughs> give Me Your Hand by Megan Abbott. <laughs> Which is based on the true story of Marie Robards from Texas. Jody, would you mind talking about the true story Give Me Your Hand is based on? Sure. So in 1993, Marie Robards was um, 16 years old and she murdered her 38-year-old father by slipping a spoonful of the poisonous chemical barium acetate into his um, takeout food. The autopsy found nothing unusual and just ruled his death as a heart attack. And so for almost a year, Marie told no one about the crime. She was a good student, very polite, very refined, never seemed to cause any trouble or act out. She was known to not date much. Um, but that all changed in 1994 during her senior year when Marie and her friend Stacy were studying. Um, they were studying the play Hamlet. And according to Stacy. They got to the part in the play with the soliloquy of Claudius, who in the play poisoned his brother to gain the throne. And Stacy um, said that Marie asked her about being a good person and having a conscience and ultimately admitted to killing her father. Indeed. And, <laughs> and Stacy, you know, obviously thought, no, this isn't a real life thing she's you know making this up or whatever um and so she didn't believe her at first but then she ultimately believed her and then she started having all kinds of nightmares because she kept the secret to herself um it really really affected her and you know um she told her mom and her mom left it up to stacy whether she wanted to report it or not um, which was, you know, probably a mistake. Which is kind of crazy, <laughs> but which is probably a mistake. And then um, later, when Marie was um, not Marie, yes, Marie. See, I'm getting the character and the real person confused. Marie, the when she was in, are very similar though. In Jody's defense, like what <laughs> happens in the book and the real life story are basically identical. I know. I'm like, ah, is it Diane? Is it Marie? Um, so base, then when Marie was in college, she was arrested because it took them, it took the lab months um, to find a lab that was sophisticated enough to find the proof of the barium acetate mm -hmm. in the test. Um, so Which it took, was the 90s. So technology was not near as advanced. Yeah, or not, yeah, not all the labs had the same equipment. And so it took them a while. But so she was arrested. She confessed. She admitted it, but then she did say that she only she didn't intend to kill him. She only wanted to make him sick. Yeah, that um, she didn't know the barium acetate was lethal. But state, according to Stacy, she did know that it was lethal. She was an eighth chemistry student, so yeah. the idea of her not knowing it was yeah. lethal seems kind of far fetched. Far fetched, yeah. Um, and so ultimately the jury convicted Marie of murder. She was sentenced to 28 years, eligible for parole after seven. Um, she was paroled in 2003. It's a very long, complicated story about why she did it and what, you know, what brought her to that point. And we could talk about that the whole time, but people can, you can Google it or watch forensic files and watch the whole story. She basically in, said she did it because she wanted to be with her mom. So her yeah. parents were divorced and she lived with her very, very close to her mom. She lived with her mom briefly. 
she didn't like her stepdad, not that he was abusive, but that he was cheating on her mom. She told her mom, mm-hmm. her mom chose the stepdad. Marie ended up living with her grandparents for a while and then ended up living with her dad. And, you know, her dad wasn't abusive. He didn't do anything wrong. He wasn't the greatest. He had his own issues to deal with, but yes. he did try. He was trying to do his best that he could, you know, having a teenager, you know, live with him for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was all just because she wanted to be with her mom. Which is interesting. In the Forensic Files episode, which is season six, episode five, it's called Death Play, Play. which I watched on YouTube. Um, <laughs> she changed her story many times as to the motive for why she killed her father. At first, she told the police that it's because she wanted to live with her mother. And then it started to change where she didn't mean to kill him. She just meant to make him sick, which is hard to say how that would get her what she wanted. but. But yeah, if you just give him a stomach ache, story a lot. Yeah, if you just give him a stomach ache for 24 hours, how is that going to get her to be able to go live with her mom in another state? Right. And especially since her mom really didn't seem like that was an option, period, for her to live with them and, you know, the mom and the new stepdad. Uh, So who knows? But supposedly, according to Marie, that that is what she thought. Yeah, and supposedly, like, later, her mom said, you know, that she was wanted her to come back and live with her in Florida, and Mm -hmm. um, that she had left the the stepdad or whatever, and Marie was, like, really upset. She's like, you've known this the whole time, that you were going to bring me back to live with you, and so she, you know, she is upset because she just murdered her father for no reason. It's great. I mean, it's it's, it's a crazy story. It is a crazy story. And it's like, why would you feel the need to go that far? Why couldn't you just have like a conversation? Be like, hey, dad, I don't really enjoy living with you. I'd rather live with mom. Hash it out. And plus, it's not like she had to be there forever. I mean, she was 15 when she went to live with her dad, right? Mm-hmm. Or something like that. So she only had, you know, a couple more years. And then she was going to be out on her own go anyway. Like, it's kind of like just like suck it up and deal with it. Especially if he's not like mean or abusive or there was really no, no... he just wasn't home a lot he wasn't and home a lot he, and he, he was really i mean present like jody said he wasn't the greatest dad he wasn't really present in her life at all and there's an article and we'll link it in the description by skip hollinsworth who writes for the texas monthly and marie's mom because there's like very little information or very little forthcoming about the whole family dynamics period but she claims that he's very he was very moody and depressed and that's why their marriage didn't work out because he was just like popped from place to place and thing to thing and she didn't want to deal with that. Well and after she killed him, she ended up having to live with her grandparents, her grandpa mm-hmm. anyway. So yep. her plan failed anyway. Ultimately. And if she didn't want to live with her dad because she didn't like it, you know, or whatever, she could have just stayed with her grandparents. Mm-hmm. Again, she was so close they, to just being out on her own. It was just so unnecessary. And there were options. Perhaps she couldn't see them, but there she had options that she could have taken. She didn't have to do this. So that's, and it was that's definitely thought. It was definitely thought out, though, because I mean, she had yeah. to steal. She had to steal the stuff from chemistry, mm-hmm. you know, and do it and make it seem like she didn't. Because I'm sure there's some accounting method. That that teacher has to go through of all of the chemicals that they are using in their lab. Yeah, so it was definitely um, premeditated. And yes, there was a which, part too where she where she talked. This might have been in the book. See, I'm confusing the two. Where she was saying that she was going to put it in her own food. That's is that the in the book. book? Okay, that's in the book. Never mind. Which we'll get to that. is interesting. Yeah. It again, they're so similar. Like it's really, truly. I, at least this portion of the book is a play-by-play for the real story, like down to the minutia details. Uh, everything else is fictionalized, but I think, like Megan Abbott, is able to, in the fictionalized form, kind of come up with some type of better or at least more understandable motive for Marie than than what. Marie said in real life. Well, yeah, and if that's like that, may not be the whole story. Like she may not be, you know, forthcoming with everything, or her mom, you know, 
Mm-hmm. There may be things that you don't we don't know, but hopefully during her time in prison she got some therapy since she is out. Hopefully she she got the help that she needed. But yeah. Uh and now let's talk about her fictionalized counterpart, Diane, who <laughs> certainly did not get the help that she needed and ends yeah. in disaster. Like yes. the, the explosion disaster. She has leveled up. (laughs) (laughs) Diane is on a different level. Uh, So in the fictionalized counterpart, uh, Give Me Your Hand by Megan Abbott, Marie uh, is Diane in the book, and her friend is Kit in the book. And, I mean, it pretty much follows exactly everything. Their their dynamic, pretty much everything is the same, like, the first part of the book uh, is their first meeting, which is fictionalized, but they met at, was it tennis camp? No, running camp, cross-country running camp, running uh-huh. track camp. I don't know. Yes. Summer camp for run, running, um, <laughs> which sounds like the worst summer camp ever, but correct. <laughs> that's their jam. They're, they're like uh-huh. long-distance runners, and they meet at this camp, and uh, I almost called her Marie, but Diane is so confusing. Diane is very much like the real counterpart, Marie. She's described as like super poised and graceful and like otherworldly, like kind of like a cut above your average person. Because Kit is like, she's like the everyday man. That's kind of how Megan Abbott portrays her. Like she's the one that we're supposed to sympathize with because she's quote unquote the most like us, right? And Diane is on a whole different level. And Diane's pretty loose and pretty shy. And But there's one night when they're in this hotel with the rest of the summer camp group. I don't know why they're in a hotel, but they, they are. And they're talking about, like, secrets. And they're trying to kind of get to know each other and break the ice. And uh, Kit shares a secret where she had a sexual encounter with a man called Stevie and his nickname is Stevie Shoes because he has a lot of tennis shoes in his trunk. He sells them, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, But she had this sexual encounter with Stevie Shoes who she was dog sitting for uh, and he gave her the track shoes that she has now. And Diane immediately like throws up into this plant but doesn't share really anything about herself and they don't know like why she's so upset about it. But that's kind of like a weird bond. You'll find out why it's weird later, but that's like a weird bonding moment between Diane and Kit. That's their their first meeting. And then, you know, their paths don't cross again until high school when Diane now no longer living with her mother, because her mother and her stepfather are living in Florida has to live, uh, well, at first she tries to live in this boarding school by herself, this Catholic board, like Catholic girl school, not boarding school, just Catholic girl school by herself and gets hot. So that doesn't go so hot. And then she has to live with her dad. And just like the real story, she's very unhappy. She misses her mom a lot. Her mom and Diane and her mom had like a definitely a non-traditional mother-daughter relationship, like it, more like a friendship and less like a, a parent to a child but granted you know Diane's parents were teens to in Anne Marie's parents were teens when when they had them so that might change the dynamics a little but it's much more like a friendship like they'll her mom will share like details about her relationships and stuff with Diane to like commiserate with her in more of a friend way and less of a parent to a child way but Diane really misses her mom and she doesn't want to live with her dad for reasons we don't really know. Because in the book, Diane's dad is pretty innocuous. Like, he's living in kind of a bachelor pad. Like, she describes he has, like, two bowls and, like, one like one spoon, one fork, and one knife. Like, a couple plates, and that's all he has in this whole apartment. So, and it's a one-bedroom apartment. So she has to sleep on, like, a fold-out cot. And I think, too, it's a drastic difference from in in lifestyle because, like, her mom seems pretty wealthy. Mm-hmm. Or it's maybe, and Stevie Shoes is pretty wealthy, too. So it's definitely a stark contrast there. But she's just super, super unhappy uh, living with her dad. 
and her dad's not home a lot. He's working really late hours. Uh, so she's alone a lot. And she hasn't, she, she has a hard time making friends and forming connections with other people because her mom has kind of served that role for her. And so now I think she just feels really lost. Uh, so she does steal barium acetate from her school's chemistry lab, just like in the real life. She puts it in a little piece of paper, puts it in her backpack, just like what happened in real life. And in the book, Diane says, and again, grain of salt, Diane's not the most reliable narrator in the world. <laughs> and nor, nor is Kit. So neither of them are really reliable narrators. But she says she's going to use it and use it for herself. Like she wants to commit suicide because she's so unhappy. Uh, and accidentally, as she opens it, it just happens. Accidentally. Whoops. Uh... Whoopsies. Plus <laughs> moment. But she doesn't say anything. She doesn't. She's not like, hey, dad, don't eat that. She just lets him eat it. And it, he has a reaction like immediately. And he tells her to go upstairs because his girlfriend lives upstairs. And get her because he needs help. And pretty much by the time she does that and gets back, her dad has passed away. I thought just kind of sidebar here to the real story when I watched the forensic files was really interesting because they interviewed the coroner um, that did the autopsy on, on real life dad. And he just kept saying like she how she had fooled him. Like he had no idea that he thought, well, he kind of goes back and forth. He's trying to cover his bases, right? Because he's like, oh, well, I thought something was weird about it, but she really fooled me. Uh, so I just thought that was strange. Because in the book, too, they suspect heart failure. But he's only 38 years old in real life and in the book. So heart failure would be something out of the norm for somebody so young. But also... Isn't it, like, didn't he, like, um, wasn't he, like, having, like, throwing up and, like, foaming at the mouth and stuff? Yeah. Is, as far as I know, are those symptoms of having a heart attack? I I mean, no symptoms that I've ever heard of, but I am no medical doctor, so <laughs> I could not tell you. I would say, like, like, when the paramedics come and they see, he's, like, um, yeah, his face then they say they purple, couldn't even like, like get anything down his throat. No, they couldn't even intubate him because his throat was closed. Yes, closed, which seems more like maybe even an allergic reaction, yeah, like going into anaphylactic shock or something. But yes, so it seems weird that they didn't. I don't know. It does because in the Francis House episode, right? The in the episode two, they never mentioned the poison. Um, they said they wouldn't mention it, which. It's fascinating because in the it's the same in real life as in the book. It's barium acetate. She got it from her chemistry high school, high school chemistry lab, um, and it, just like in real life, Diane is also like a superstar student, so she definitely knew what she was doing. And then she just never says anything. She never says anything uh, even after her father passes away and she lives with her grandpa now. She never says a word. If she hadn't have told her friend Stacy, she would literally would have gotten away with the perfect crime. She would have. She would have. Which is kind of terrifying. <laughs> but yeah, so she never told anybody. And so obviously now her father's passed away. She's switching high schools. Um, and that's where Diane and Kit run into each other again. Uh, is Diane is now enrolled at Kit's high school. And they do remember each other from their running summer camp. And they, I mean, Diane's very, still very aloof, kind of hard to get to know. But they bond over their love of chemistry and physics and math because they both want to work in a lab, like a science, a science lab doing research. And they kind of, just like they did in running camp, they push each other and everything. So they have a very, like, competitive type of relationship, too, because they're trying to outpace the other in both running and in academics. And they're going for this scholarship called the Severin Scholarship because they both want to work with Dr. Severin, who's a very famous female scientist. And they study together all the time. And during one of these study sessions, just like in real life, Diane confesses to Kit. Uh, well, 
kind of, she kind of has to draw it out from her, just like in real life where Diane's kind of like, what, what would you do if I told you I did something really bad? And, you know, kids kind of going through like, did you crash your grandpa's car? Are you pregnant? Like all these things. And Diane's like, no, I killed my dad. And so (laughs) that's, that's the bad thing. She killed her father. And she tells Kit how she did it. And then just like in real life, Kit has, she does tell her mom. Um, but she doesn't exactly tell her what happened. She doesn't tell her like Diane killed her dad. She just says like Diane did something really bad. And I don't know if I should tell or keep it a secret. And Kit decides, unlike her real life counterpart, to keep it a secret. She doesn't tell anybody. So she does tell the guidance counselor, counselor at the school. She she doesn't name names, but I mean, these two are together all the time. They're, as the saying goes, thick as thieves. And it is really interesting because before Diane tells Kit that she killed her dad, the guidance counselor comes up to Kit and is like, you know, it'll be, it's so good that you guys are becoming friends. And Kit's like, oh yeah, Diane's so smart. It's really going to help me. And the guidance counselor is like, no, you're really going to help Diane. So there's already some type of, there's something, there's just something different about Diane and everybody can see it. But so Kit does tell the guidance counselor that like, she doesn't mention Diane, but she's, it's easy to infer who she's talking about, but how she did something really terrible and she needs to say something to somebody because she is unsure what to do. And we'll find out later why this is important. But so then these two really part ways because Kit doesn't really want anything to do with Diane because Kit feels like she's so burdened by this big secret uh, of Diane's that she can't quite handle it or comprehend it or learn how to deal with it. She's having nightmares and making poor decisions and doesn't want to see Diane ever again. Doesn't want to talk to her. Nothing completely cuts off the friendship. And so at the end of high school, Kit gets the Severn scholarship that they were going for and she needs it because that's really the only way she can pay for school. And these two separate. They're done. And next we see Kit. She's out of college. She's working in Dr. Severin's lab. And they are researching uh, Dr. Severin's whole research. They were researching something called PMBD, which is premenstrual dysphoria disorder. Uh, Basically, like a really, really extreme severe form of PMS where people can feel all of these really extreme emotions, which can lead to extreme acts and you know this is what they're researching for and there's like three spots on this team that Dr. Dr. Severin is putting together to research PMDD and all of these scientists in this lab that Kit's working in want to be part of this team and so we're kind of seeing like Kit's adult life and how really severe Diane's secret has affected like how severely it's affected her in her life because she's still affected by it like she doesn't really have close relationships with anybody she just kind of like drifts her her whole focus is is this lab and her work she doesn't really have a personal life um she which some of it is the lab too like it was mentioned that kit did get engaged but um she prioritizes her lab work over her personal life and so it didn't work out. There's probably more to it than that. Kit also is not as the most reliable of narrators, but she is the most understandable one, I guess. She's the one that Megan Abbott definitely wants us to relate to the most because she is that everyman type of character. So we're kind of getting to know Kit in her adulthood and all of these people in the lab. And she's really close to this guy in the lab called Alex. And they have like a very flirtatious, relationship nothing has happened with it but they're very flirty with each other and then one day lo and behold they're announcing you know who somebody new is joining the team and guess who it is it's diane (laughs) diane she's back of course there'd be no real drama or story without diane right but diane is back 
And all this whole team of scientists are convinced that she has secured one of the spots on this team. So now there are only two spots left. So they're all kind of oscillating and fighting over who they think might get the spot. And uh, Alex and Kit have like a night out together out of the lab where they sleep together, but somebody from the lab sees them. And this will come back later. Foreshadowing. (laughs) There's also a foreshadowing in this scene too when they're talking because Alex's um, test tube has a crack in it because he's known throughout the lab as like not taking really anything too seriously and not taking good care of his equipment and things like that. Uh, which again, grain of salt, but it will come back. So his test tube has crack in it. Remember that. It's important. Uh, <laughs> but I think like they have this night out because Kit is feeling she's feeling a lot of different things about hearing Diane's name because uh, she never thought they'd see each other again. So she's feeling a lot of feelings, and she confesses to Alex that Kit killed that she that not Kit. Kit confesses to Alex that Diane killed someone. And then, like, you know, obviously the next morning she wakes up and she's like, oh, no, what have I done? What have I done? And she's trying to tell him, like, oh, I didn't mean it. I just, you know, I have a real rivalry with Diane. I was just trying to say something bad about her. But Alex isn't buying it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But Alex isn't buying it. And pretty much by this point, he knows Kit pretty well. Like, they spend. 12 hours a day with each other so he's not buying it he's not buying her story and kit tells because diane is she's kind of trying to bring back a friendship with kit like you can tell that she missed her Mm -hmm. um she's probably the only one she's probably the only one besides her mom that she was close to yeah yeah Diane's always, like, described as, like, otherworldly, like, very ethereal, but completely alone. She's always alone. So Diane's trying to kind of reform relationships with Kit. Kit's not really having it. She doesn't really want it. But she does feel the need to tell Diane that she told Alex that Diane killed somebody. And, again, this is very competitive. Everybody wants a spot on Dr. Severin's team. And they already know that Diane has a spot. And I'm sure Alex is thinking, like, hey, now I have something on Diane. And I'm going to tell Dr. Severin. Well, we didn't know that he wasn't. We didn't know that he wasn't that great of a person either at this time. We didn't. At this time, we did not. Like, he seemed kind of like a lovable class clown goofball. Mm -hmm. But he's not. He's definitely much more calculating. And the only person that really kind of has seen Alex for what he is, is Sergey, who is in charge of the animals in this lab, um, taking care of them and all, all of that stuff. And he sees Alex as what he really is. And he says Alex is like a political monster. Like he's going to do everything he can to, to climb the ranks. How and he, he did. He did warn Kit before about Alex. He did. He has. To be careful. He has. Yeah. Be careful of Alex. And Alex also comes from a wealthy background and his his parents are very politically well connected. So he has like more tools in his toolbox that he can utilize to climb these academic ranks. But Kit is now just really trying to convince Alex that, you know, she she was lying. She's lying. She just is really jealous of Diane, and that's why she said what she said. So she goes to, she's been trying to get a hold of him to talk to him, and he's kind of ghosting her, which only makes it worse for Kit. So she just, he's in the lab early on, like a Saturday morning, and she decides, you know what? Instead of just waiting, I'm just going to go talk to him in person. So she goes to talk to him in person, and remember that test tube that has crack in it. Well, Again, grain of salt, but this is supposedly what happened. So Kit's confronting Alex and saying, like, hey, you know, I was really drunk. I didn't mean it. I'm really jealous of Diane. 
basically, please don't tell anybody what I told you because it's not true. And Alex doesn't believe it. But then this test tube that has a crack in it, it's on a Bunsen burner, explodes, explodes, glass everywhere, glass flashes Alex in the throat and he falls to the ground and kids just like standing there in shock right but then there's also gas from the Bunsen burner in the air enter Diane Diane's <laughs> Diane's always there and it save the day <laughs> this is the grain of salt moment perhaps the test tube really did burst right perhaps it did but Kit kind of blanks out because what is it chloroform something like that yeah yeah she kind of like blanks out and doesn't really know what happens in this in-between time but diane has turned the chloroform off and she says because kit wants to tell she wants to go call 911 she wants to go to the cops she wants to be like hey this you know he needs help uh he's dead already but she wants to go and diane convinces her not to call Granted, Kit is not in her right mind because she does have like chloroform poisoning a little bit. And I think this is the point where you kind of have to make a judgment call on what you think really happened to Alex. Do you maybe Diane just finished the job? No. Because she heard them arguing and she uh-huh. knows that Kit told Alex that Diane killed somebody. She knows this already, but she convinces Kit not to call the cops until they don't. And they clean up the, they don't clean up the crime scene, but they clean up any areas where they touched or stepped or anything like that. They try and clean it up. And as they're leaving, they see Sergey and they're like, hey, you know, I'm just showing Diane around town. She's new. And they're trying to be cool and play it off. I can't imagine (laughs) Kit is being too cool, but also she's got chloroform poisoning. so. She, like, passes out in the car on their drive home. So who knows what this looks like? I'm sure it looks really suspect. But Diane takes Kit back to her apartment. And based now Kit has two secrets that she's got to deal with. And then, so, as they go back, they're, like, expecting somebody to find Alice's body. And nobody does. And Kit is, like... These two secrets are too much for her. And she goes to a police station and she parks in there and she's like ready to tell them what happened. Um, And the officers basically just call her trailer trash Mm -hmm. and she changes her mind, which is really not uncalled for. Um, So she doesn't tell the police, but nobody, there's no reports. This body has not been found, which they don't understand why. And so she goes into work on, well, actually, I should say, she comes back Saturday night because she wants to get all of the rags that they used to clean up. She wants to incinerate them because they're behind the building. And she sees this woman there, this, like, young woman. And they start talking, and she finds out. And this is when we find out that Alice is not a very good person, that that's Alice's fiancé. So she finds she finds that out. So Alice's fiance is there and asking where Alice is because he hasn't come home. He hasn't answered any calls. And Kit basically is like, I don't know. Uh, and then now, fast forward, Monday, body still not found. And when they go past the lab where the body where Alice was cleaned up, like nothing ever happened. Nobody knows. Nobody can see. And this is the day, Monday. They announce who's going to be on Dr. Severin's team. And it turns out it's just going to be Kit and Diane. And Kit wants to feel really happy that she made it. Uh, but she can't. Because there's, there's a lot going on. <laughs> Including where is Alex? <laughs> where is did, the dead did guy? He, was he, yeah, where is the dead guy? Was he actually alive? Yeah, did, did he get he up and walk, walk away? Up? What happened to him? Nobody knows. And Alex's fiance is like really pushing it. She's filing, you know, she's filed the missing persons report. So it's coming back in the lab too. Like, where is Alex? Nobody knows. Nobody knows where Alex is. Nobody knows even anything bad happened to Alex. 
except for Kit and Diane. And Diane's trying to reform like their high school bond with Kit and Kit is just not having it, but still feels sucked into Diane's vortex. I think she's suspicious too of Diane because I like, mean, did she, she knows do... things about Diane. Yeah. Did Diane go back and do something to Alex? You know, like, did she, she miss trust her? Yeah. Did she miss something while she was in her days? You know, Mm -hmm. that's why she keeps asking well yeah wasn't diane no (laughs) and then the tension ratchets up even more because because alice's fiance has filed a missing persons report the police are here and they're interviewing everybody one by one and all of the guys in the lab are like oh wow diane was in there for a really long time way longer than anybody else and Kit is just like, did she did she rat me out? Is this the end? Like, what did Diane say? And she can't, like, get Diane alone to talk to her. So she's just, like, frantic. She's like, what did Diane say? How can I, you know, like, tell the same story? Or did she already say it was my fault? Am I going to be arrested? So she goes with to talk to the police. And the police are asking, like, you know, What's your relationship like? Because Alex and Kit had a very friendly, flirty lab relationship. So they think that if anybody would know where he was, it would be Kit. And so Kit is like, she has to be pretty erratic Mm. at this point. Like, she has to be. And I'm sure she's looking suspicious because... She's trying not to tell too much, but also trying to figure out what Diane says. And she is in there longer than anybody else. And she has inferred, which she thinks it's Diane at first. Somebody said that they saw Kit and Alex at the bar kissing each other after work. Somebody told the police that. And Kit doesn't know who, but she's, she thinks it's Diane because ha- that's the only person she told is Diane. But it wasn't Diane. It was another person in that lab who saw them. And Kit feels like like the net is closing. Like she's she feels like she should never have listened to Diane. She's more mad at Diane than anything else. Like she feels like she never should have listened to Diane. She should have just called the police immediately. But still, where is Alex? He's nowhere to be found. He's not anywhere. Like people are like everybody's kind of turning on each other at this point. Everybody is suspecting each other. And then the guys in the lab are like super passive aggressive about not getting a spot on mm-hmm. Dr. Severin's team. Like they're really bad, like really bad. Yeah. Uh, and it's like of course it's the two ladies studying, you know, premenstrual dysphoria disorder, of course. Of course. Um, well, rightly so. <laughs> rightly so, but they're just real salty about it because they don't want to study uh, this other dude's gonad study. <laughs> Nobody wants to be on that team. They only want to be on Dr. Severin's team. jeez. Uh, <laughs> uh, and this whole time, we should also note that Dr. Severin and Diane seem pretty buddy buddy it seems like they know each other better than perhaps they should since supposedly these two have never met and kit finds out that they have um that diane has worked for dr severin in the past which this is like probable i mean this is like a hipaa violation on this lab's part because they just left diane's file on the table like out in the open and kids just reading it. Uh, whoops. um, Whoopsies. And so they find out that, you know, Kit finds out that they do know each other from the past. But she also kind of triggers a memory for her. And because she's reading through Dr. Severin's old case, uh, case studies of different people when she was conducting um, PMDD interviews. And she pieces this together from what she read in Diane's file on this table, that Diane 
was almost a part of the PMDD study. And I, for me, I think this is maybe the saddest part of this whole tale, especially for Diane, is when Diane was in college, she went to the study because she's convinced that she has PMDD. Um, I'm sure as a like a somewhat of a coping mechanism or to kind of to take some of the blame from killing her father off herself and putting it on to a, something else like a disorder. Um, but she's convinced she has it. And she interviews for Dr. Severin's study. And she basically is like, I need help. Like I need psychological help. Like I am, I am not right. And I know I'm not right. And everything I'm feeling is not right. Please help me. And she doesn't get help. And I feel like that's like, especially for Diane, that's gotta be like, this. that's just for me, that's the saddest part of the story. It's like, mm-hmm. if they had helped her, none of the rest of the, I mean, her poor father, but none of the rest of this would have happened. And we'll get to it, but. <laughs> uh, they she was her. rejected from that study because yeah, she because did she, not have PMDD. She did not have PMDD. They did recommend that she seek psychiatric care elsewhere. Um, but I feel like this was Diane's reaching out for that psychiatric care. And then she was rejected. So she did not get the help that she needed. And so Kit has, she feels like she has all this ammo now against Diane where she, and she wants to confront her about it. Um, and she's trying to pinpoint, she's trying to pin her down. Cause like this big wig university guy is going to come and they're going to do this meeting about, uh, this, you know, Dr. Severin's lab and this new, cause it's like got a lot, her, project has a lot of hype and a lot of funding behind it and so you know the university really wants to showcase that and so he's going to have like a little press conference thing and talk about it and she sees diane but she can't get her one-on-one and so she goes to talk to sergey because sergey he knows a lot about a lot of people yes Um, he uh Dr. Severin isn't the only one Diane ha- knows from before. Mm-mm. So yet nope, another nope, twist. Nope. The twists keep coming. So no, uh, Dr. Severin is not the only one that's known Diane. Sergey has worked with Dr. Severin for like 16 years, like a really long time. Sergey knows Diane too. And uh, as it turns out, this the animal area where Sergey is, there's something in the ceiling. What could it be? <laughs> it's Alex! <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Dun, we dun. found him! <laughs> Alex is in the ceiling! And he, like, crashes through the ceiling. And it was Sergey that cleaned up the crime. And you think, like, oh, well, it's because he and Kit have this relationship where he was trying to, like, protect Kit in case, you know, because she was the one in there with him. No, that's not it either. That's not it either. And we don't find out. So <laughs> Alex falls from the ceiling. And then they have tea. <laughs> you know. As one does. As one does. But then, so Diane, she comes in. They see the fly fall. And then, you know, they, these three kind of, like, have tea. They have a powwow. They're like, what next? They're getting cleaned up after this. He's trying to hide it. What do we do now? The cops are hot on our trails. Um, and Diane, oh, Diane, Diane poisons Sergey's pee. So Sergey is now dying on the floor. And in comes Dr. Severin. And Dr. Severin is just like, oh, Diane, 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 Diane. No. I know she's no. all calm. Why? <laughs> yeah, she's, she's all calm. It's more like she's like, chastising a like a puppy who had an accident on the floor like it's not it's not like anything and then we find out that dr severin has known diane obvious from first time when she interviewed her and determined that diane didn't have pmdd which diane had her own uterus removed because she was so convinced that she had this disorder and she wants to be better but she cannot get the help she needs and Dr. Severin and Sergey have basically been covering up Diane's crimes this whole time. 
this whole time. So who knows what else Diane has done? We don't know either. But Sergey has been covering it up on the behest of Dr. Severn. And Dr. Severn, like, Diane is like, like a literal lab rat to Dr. Severn. Like, she's studying her. Yes, she's super fascinated by her. You'd think but, she'd be a little more upset about Sergey being dead. Because they have been to get like work together so long. Poor Sergey, I'll miss you. Moving on. This is unfortunate. Um, Oh well, let's move on. And yeah, poor Sergey. Really, (laughs) he was he was a good friend to Kit though. He Um, was a good friend to Kit, and he really did try and help her. He seemed like he did up, dude. Um, He did. Just broke into unfortunate circumstances. Truly cleaning up after Diane again and again. And he even says something, and this is kind of what makes you really wonder like what exactly happened to Alex. Because he he tells Diane, he's like, I saw what you did. I saw what you did in that lab. Makes it yes. seem like it wasn't such an accident. Wasn't yeah. such a weird test tube breaking situation. Yeah, so maybe the test tube just shattered, but maybe and it maybe it just nicked him. Mm-hmm. But then maybe why Kit was, like, super out of it, maybe Diane, like, you know, really nicked him. Or who I think knows so. what she did. That's what I think. That's what I think. I mean, Diane is unhinged. And she, well, like, and I she think was... the worst part is, is, like, she knows she's unhinged and she really tried to get help. Well, and she is, like, very adamant about cleaning up the footprints. Yeah. Um, and stuff like that and throwing away the bloody clothes because there was a footprint and she said it's kids but it's probably diane that was in the middle of the big pool of blood yes because too if they had just if it was an accident and they had just called the police in there nobody would have been in any trouble even if they had called the police after they found the body they would have only been in trouble for like moving the body not that not that they killed him so you know and then instead of doing that her answer is to murder someone else Yep. Yeah. So she murders Sergey. And Dr. Severin comes in and she's like, oh, Diane, not again. <laughs> Diane, not again. Not again. <laughs> and it, they're going to cover this up too. Mm-hmm. Like somehow Dr. Severin is going to make it so they cover this up. So Diane and Kit got free off. These two, Diane and Kit, really should not be together. Like, I don't know what it is about their personalities or their interactions, but it's a it literally explosive. And so the cops are closing in, right? And now that they have these two bodies, they have to answer more questions, obviously. And it turns out Diane confessed. This is like perhaps the most altruistic thing Diane has ever done in this book is she confesses and takes all of the blame, which it probably is her fault. I mean, I yes. mean, it, I do think she killed Alex. She definitely killed Sergey. Who knows what else she's done? But also, she still does want help. So perhaps it's not so much altruistic as trying to, to help herself because she knows she's wrong. She knows the way she's feeling and thinking are wrong. But she doesn't know how to, to fix it. And she's sought help and nobody has helped her. And they just say, like, she's so brilliant. But they don't they're not giving her the help that she needs but she confesses to everything she confesses to everything to get you know to make sure that kids okay supposedly um and then as the cops are arresting her in the parking lot diane splits her own throat and dies in the parking lot and you think that's the end but there is an epilogue so kit has actually really benefited from diane's Shall we call it a sacrifice? Because Kit wasn't like 100% innocent in this situation either. Like she didn't have to go along with Diane. But her, the ambitious side of her wanted to be on this team, wanted these things. And that's why she did. It was definitely a selfish motive. But now she's like Dr. Severin's right-hand lady. She's, you know, basically running this lab. She has everything she wanted. Dr. Severin should have also been in trouble. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, who knows how many crimes that she's covered up for Diane. It makes it sound like it was many, but we have no idea because it's not mentioned. Because I feel like she also, too, not just by covering up her crimes, but by it's kind of like because she was like studying her. It was like it's almost like she um, subliminally encouraged her to keep being crazy so she could keep studying her. She definitely didn't try to help her or rein her in in any way or any way. So she should definitely have been held accountable. But if Kit had turned her in for knowing all these things, then she wouldn't have been able to rise up like she did Mm -mm. career-wise either. So, yes, all very sinister. Poor Sergey paid the price. He really did. I mean, nobody in this book is a quote-unquote good person. Like, this book is not quite so black and white. There's a lot of shades of gray. And it's not that, you know, everybody does good and bad things. Um, But they have to decide, you know, what their morality scale is, basically. Yeah, what they can live with, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that's the end. That is that wild ride. It was a wild ride. And especially if you oh, have read I this true stuff first, it's real the, wild. The, the biggest reveal to me I forgot this story. Okay, so you know how we started at the running camp with Stevie Shoes? This story (laughs) went full, complete circle circle back to the beginning. There were no, I mean, there, Megan Abbott really tied up a lot of loose ends. There's still some, but like most of them are closed. This was wild to me and I did not expect it. So, you know, how Kit was telling Diane that she had like sexual relations with Stevie Shoes. Um, and Diane threw up. Well, the reason she did that, and Kit gets a letter from Diane's mother, and Diane's mother is also cuckoo to chew, because this letter was just the height of narcissism <laughs> that Kit received from Diane's mother. But Stevie's shoes was Diane's stepdad. The stepdad who was never faithful to her mother, who she was trying to get her mother to leave so they could live together, but her mom always picked him over her. Stevie Shoes! Stevie Shoes! The reason <laughs> she killed her father to be with her mother! Full circle! Yes, did not, see, did not see that coming. And every time they mentioned it, I'm like, what is the deal with this Stevie Shoes? Like, why do we care about yeah. Stevie Shoes? Yeah, And then it does... Up? It did come full circle. Literal good twist. Full circle. Many it twists. was a good twist. Yeah, many twists. There, yeah. I didn't expect the Stevie Shoes thing really shocked me. I uh, I really didn't anticipate that. Because it's like, it's mentioned briefly, and then he comes up occasionally. But, wow. Yeah, because they, when they're going back and forth in the timelines, you don't really think, you know, that he's going to be in the present timeline. No, uh-uh. No, and basically Diane's mom had a complete second family mm-hmm. with Stevie Shoes. Yeah, wild ride. Which is part of Diane's issues as she felt abandoned. Which, which she, she was. was. By her mother. I mean, she her grandparents were happy to have her. Her grandpa seemed like a good grandpa you know take mm-hmm. doing all her school things and stuff with her and um yeah crazy yeah. story though it really was wild and i think like as as terrible as the deeds that diane committed you do feel bad for her because there's also a scene at the very end of the book um where they're graduating from high school and Kit and Diane are already not friends because of what Diane told Kit, uh, how she killed her father. But um, that Kit's mom doesn't know that, and she, she takes them both out to the salon. And Diane is basically like in seventh heaven because she's never had this much female attention before or this, you know, much maternal attention. And you just feel so bad for her. Yeah, it is sad. But I, it's weird, too, because you think Kit 
is afraid of Diane when she's having, you know, like nightmares and all these things. Mm -hmm. And she really, you know, is struggling in her own life and relationships because of Diane. But then like in that scene, they're very close. They are holding Mm -hmm. hands. So who knows? Folly ado. Yeah, totally. She had like a weird power over her. Even like in that article about the real story, he was saying that um, that Marie would call her mom every night from jail and that she told her mom that she hoped Stacy didn't feel bad about going to the police about her and that she still really liked her and they were still best friends. Which is, which is sad. Really sad. sad. She's just really clinging to, you know, those two relationships. Mm-hmm. It is really sad. And I mean, definitely we see it more in the book because we're able to see a little bit more of, of what Diane's not necessarily thinking, but, you know, a little bit more about her. And she definitely doesn't have any relationships. She can't really form those types of relationships. Uh, she Except definitely knows, kids. yeah, and she definitely knows, well, in the real thing, she definitely knows that she, what she did was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, she avoids, like, going to the cemetery, and she doesn't like to talk about it, or when anyone brings it up, and she um, doesn't feel like she deserves things, and she's still very, like, kind of meek and, ref- you know, keeps to herself. Mm-hmm. She knows that she did something wrong. She just, and then in this, in the book, she can't stop. She can't stop she can't herself. Stop doing like, she knows wrong. it's wrong. And she knows, like, she is not feeling or acting like other people. Like, she knows she's different. She knows it's not right. Um, but she herself can't change it. And so she does, she actually does seek help and just does not get the help that she needs. And there, everything else followed suit. Yeah, she really didn't need to kill Sergey. He wasn't gonna. And he wasn't like, gonna rat her out. Cause, yeah, because he'd been cleaning up her crimes for years. Yeah. So, and she poisoned him. So that was like a very another tie into like her love of poison. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, she didn't need to kill him. And then they were gonna try to blame it all on him. But he yes, killed Alex um, and he killed himself. Yeah. Poor Sergey, just trying to do, trying to be helpful. And look what just happened. stuck in this lab with the mice. <laughs> Which I he know. like, and he was the only one really that saw Diane for what she really was. Mm-hmm. Like, because Diane would have to go in and quote unquote euthanize some of these mice, and she and would waited. literally cut their heads off with scissors. I know when he said that, I was like, oh, that's disturbing. So, I mean, Diane's definitely showing some psychopathic behaviors here. And she knows that. But. Uh, Yeah, he didn't really seem to care for Diane. Like he, there did seem to be. Yeah, he wasn't doing it because he was, like, secretly in love with her or anything like that. No, he was yeah. doing it because Dr. Severin told him to. Yeah. And he had, he told Dr. Severin of, you know, what he thought that Diane's, like, you know, she's a danger. She's dangerous. And Dr. Severin was much more interested in studying her than helping her. Yeah, she's like a little puppet master. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Diane was some kind of a victim as well. She was. She was. I mean, again, her father would not have been saved, but everybody else would have if she had been able to get the psychiatric care that she had requested. Or if any of the people who knew that she killed her father had reported her and she'd gone to jail a lot sooner, a lot of things. We don't know yeah. how many victims in the we book have no would have been saved. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What's good? And that is that is the book that we read this month. We hope you join us next month. We are going to read The Wonder, um, which is based on real life starving girls. So, <laughs> so another uplifting tale. <laughs> another uplifting tale and dark fascinations. 
and we hope you join us then. We are now offering Chromebooks and hotspots, including charging cables, for checkout. All kits come with an easy-to-carry bag and are available at your nearest SSJ CPL branch. Check for availability by calling 209-937-8221 or check out the online catalog at ssjcpl.org. To stay up to date with library news, follow us at SSJCPL on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or visit our website at SSJCPL.org.